Your word, O Lord, is truth. Consecrate us in the truth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our Lord isn't giving us simple instructions, even medical instructions about how to be moral. There's always something deeper, something more profound that touches on our salvation and on how we reflect the glory and the majesty of God. In the same way, when we ask the Lord to consecrate us in the truth, we're not just asking him to free us from untruth and to eradicate untruth from us, but it is good to be reminded what are the sins of false witness? False witness and perjury. This is from the Catechism. When it is made publicly, a statement contrary to the truth takes on a particular gravity. In court, it becomes false, false witness. When it is under oath, it is perjury. Acts such as these contribute to condemnation of the innocent, exoneration of the guilty, or the increased punishment of the accused, the gravely, they gravely compromise the exercise of justice and the fairness of judicial decisions. Respect for the reputation of persons forbids every attitude and word likely to cause them unjust injury. And then the Catechism spells out three specific sins that are good for us to um, have clear in mind, rash judgment, detraction, and calumny. He becomes guilty of rash judgment who, even tacitly, assumes as true without sufficient foundation the moral fault of a neighbor. Of detraction, who without objectively valid reason discloses another's faults and failings to persons who did not know them. Of calumny, who by remark contrary to the truth harms the reputation of others and gives occasion for false judgments concerning them. The problem with Raz's judgment is not having sufficient foundation. The problem with detraction is not having an objectively valid reason to expose the sins of others. And calumny, well, gets off on the wrong foot to begin with by being contrary to the truth. Speaking untruths are a function of original sin. Father Cena frequently would teach the baptism class, but when I, over the years, have had the, have had the opportunity to teach the baptism class, I'll remind parents that your job is not simply to build a wall or a bubble around your child as though evil only lurks from without. Your little baby will figure out how to lie. At first, I know, shocking. First without words, and then with words, they will realize, hold on, if I say this, which is not true, I get that. Or if I don't say that, which I'm supposed to say, then I get away with this. It will be their own discovery. No one has to teach them. They don't have to read about it. They don't have to witness it. it it's like they are Christopher Columbus they have discovered the new world. That's original sin. 
And we like to play games with the truth, right? We try to say things that are partially true in order to avoid telling a lie, but um, true enough, technically, a lie consists in speaking a falsehood with the intention of deceiving. That's a direct lie, but at the same time, we can um, be deceitful even without saying words that are um, technically false. But the gospel is never just a morality lesson. We are consecrated in the truth. As a function of original sin, we can't all know the truth about each other before heaven. Once we know something, it's hard to unknow it. Once you know someone did something or said something, it's almost impossible to forget. And even once you hear something that happens to be false about someone, that can be difficult to, to erase from your memory banks and treat them as they ought to be treated. Fortunately, the only one who knows all your thoughts and all your feelings and the entire truth of who you are and, and the cauldron of, of intellect and emotion brewing within you is God himself. Not, if, not even the angels are permitted to know what you are thinking or feeling unless you reveal it to them, which is why you only talk to good angels. Never talk or, or reveal your heart to bad angels. Only God can know the full truth about you. It's a great consolation, but it's also a great lesson. How much love there has to be in order to know the truth. By the same token, how much we need to be sure people love us before we tell them the complete truth. No one's ever in a position to demand of us the truth completely. Everyone deserves the truth, but not everyone deserves complete candor, complete disclosure. Be forthcoming with those you can trust, with those who love you. It's in marriage that we see this especially true. You are consecrated in truth as husband and wife, or you will be if that becomes your vocation. Fidelity is something that seems to be very easily understood, just like, you know, listing these sins against the truth. Fidelity, most people would describe as a prohibition against doing certain unchaste uh, things with others. We do have some young couples getting married here, fortunately. And in marriage prep, when the topic of fidelity comes up, I encourage them to think of it in these terms. Fidelity is that virtue by which you as married couples share with each other every good thing. And not just things, but experiences and relationships and activities and thoughts. It may very well be that you suffer in evil, maybe at work because you're in law enforcement or intelligence or in the medical profession or the, some other 
job that deals with people's evil. You suffer an evil. There's a good reason why you can't talk about that to other people outside those who need to know because it deals with the truth of other people that probably can't be handled. But it's also liberating because you don't need to inflict that evil on other people, not even your spouse. Your spouse needs to know you had a bad day at the office. Your spouse doesn't have to have the same evil inflicted on them. So it's not as though there's a, we, we carve out a special category for, well, people who have really important jobs, they're allowed not to be faithful to their spouses, and they're allowed not to share with their spouses everything that they go through. Because I said fidelity, or I encourage you to consider fidelity as that virtue by which married couples share with each other every good thing. Here's a benign example. You're on the way home from work and you see a horrible accident. You see someone die. It's terrible. You'll have nightmares for days. When you get home, you don't tell your spouse every gory detail so that they also have nightmares for days. No, you tell them you saw something awful. You might describe it in some way, but why? Because they, your spouse has an obligation to take care of you, to love you, to serve you. They can't love you and serve you if they don't know that you just suffered something. You are consecrated in truth. One of these deep mysteries in the human heart also finds its, its culmination in the cross. Because it's, it's especially in marriage or especially in in. in in those relationships where you know someone loves you deeply, you still know that they, they don't feel everything that you feel. There's, there's some things you, that just can't be expressed, some things that can't be observed. Doesn't mean the person doesn't love you. Over the last few days, something um, in detail, I don't have to inflict the details on you, but came to my attention that someone who was supposed to have received communion, in fact, took communion, but they didn't actually receive it. And that type of thing just makes, you know, makes my heart jump out of my chest. And it's like Jesus is, Jesus is being crucified, right? Our Lord's body is meant to be loved and reverenced and... Um, and instead, it's, it's as though he's, he's dying slowly on the cross. But the, it, it's not just an emotional exaggeration. Remember, it, it used to be in the original English translation of the Mass after the consecration, the memorial, the memorial acclamation included, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. We don't say that anymore, and, and perhaps for good reason, because the, the, the cross isn't just a neat, tidy historical event that's done and over and in the past. Christ is still on the cross until history is played out. The suffering of Christ continues, even without in any way 
denying the resurrection and the ascension and our Lord's glory in heaven. Because by the same token, he came into the world, he was incarnate of the Virgin Mary without leaving heaven itself. Christ is still on the cross. Christ is still suffering. It, it comes in waves as a, as, a, as, a, as a new revelation every time. That, And the only way that it's bearable is by knowing that he is risen from the dead and he is ascended into heaven. Because he is God, all of this is, is outside of time in a way that we, we won't understand that truth until, until we get to heaven. My guess is that just like being forewarned about the, the challenges of marriage, which sound like words you understand on, until you get married, then you know what people were talking about. Same is true of the priesthood. I can tell you about Christ being on the cross, and those sound like intelligible words, but until, until a layer is pulled back and there's a, a kind of loving receptivity to that truth, God won't even let you experience what those words mean. And so true words must always be spoken. Understanding the truth, that's a question of love. Revealing the truth, that's a question of love. Revealing all the truth, that's a question of God's love, of perfect love, divine love. Yesterday we celebrated the archangels, St. Michael and all the angels. And as much as we know that there is a heavenly battle being waged for our souls, we, have, we take the greatest consolation, not in a favorite person or a favorite saint or even a favorite angel, but that God himself, your creator, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, holds you and knows you, knows the whole truth about you, and still loves you, and extends to you his mercy, and, in, and imparts to you a share in his life, and in heaven will, will, will bring you into the fullness of truth, where all will be known, where there will be no weeping and no tears, but only glory and joy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.